Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of three issues for just £5. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome back to The Critic podcast. As social and political movements such as Black Lives Matter continue to gain traction nationwide, cancel culture is becoming an increasingly worrying trend. People who privately question or disagree with parts of such organisations are being publicly vilified with their jobs on the line. In this podcast, David Scullion talks to physicist Mike McCulloch, ex-charity boss Nick Buckley and free speech union founder Toby Young on what it's like to be cancelled and how we can move forward. I'm delighted to be joined now by Mike McCulloch, um, who works at the University of Plymouth. He works at the School of Biology and Marine Sciences. And I just, if, if in your own words, if, if you wouldn't mind, Mike, what happened to you? What was your example of uh, almost being cancelled? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm a university lecturer in geomatics at the university. And on 6th of June um, this year, I, I got a very polite email from my head of school stating um, that an anonymous person had sent a list of the tweets I'd liked over a 24-hour period to the qualities team at university and complained about some of the tweets that I, I had liked. Um, so I, I'd liked posts saying um, things like all lives matter, um, that gender has a scientific basis, and I'd liked posts opposed to mass immigration as well. Um, so, so the complainant complained, um, complained that, um, that that meant I was um, woman-hating, black-hating, immigrant-hating, but it's uh, but that's not true. I, I believe my views are reasonable. Um, um, so I was I was extremely concerned by this, and I was I, I was feeling pretty pretty down, and that my career was about to implode because of what I'd, I'd liked online. So I posted the news on Twitter and I got a, a massive amount of support email saying that another complaint had been received and that there would now be an investigation. Um, so a senior colleague was appointed to be, to be the investigator and um, a Zoom meeting was organised on the 1st of July um, to decide whether a disciplinary hearing should be, should be held, um, at, at which I could be fired at the end of that, that process lots of new followers and lots of offers of help from lawyers. Several lawyers offered help and um, the free speech union of Toby Young also offered to help. And because of all this, I managed to assemble a, a legal team and they they emailed the university asking exactly what rules I had broken. And the next day, the university dropped the, uh, dropped the case. Um, I, that's, I mean, that's a really interesting point. I think that um, a lot of these cases seem to be... Um people being investigated or people being uh, sacked for doing things which there's not doesn't seem to be a specific rule that they've broken how important do you think that was that you got that team together and, and ask what you specifically had done wrong yes well i, I think it was crucial and i think the evidence uh, sh- shows that it was a day after that they they cancelled I, I should say there are also other groups involved as well that i i can't mention but i think it was uh, largely due to that that the case was dropped I think a lot of a lot of people aren't aware that the law actually protects them in these cases, um, especially lecturers at universities were covered by the, the Human Rights Act 1998, uh, which says that a publicly funded body like a university has to um, take steps to ensure the freedom of speech of its members. 
and that if it doesn't, it can be it can be sued. Um, so I was in a very strong position. That that strong position doesn't apply to everybody, unfortunately, and I, I think it should. Um, and just um, by way of uh, your work, I mean, what would have what what work would have been impacted if, um, as a result of this, you'd been fired? Because you um, have a contract with the U.S. Department of Defense, don't you? I've suggested a new theory of, of inertia called quantized inertia. It enables us to get rid of dark matter in galaxies, for example, um, and it's been well tested and has been very successful in astrophysics. And in recent years, I've proposed that it. It, it, it leads to a new kind of propulsion system. What, what essentially you can do is you can build um, an asymmetric metal box. You can fire a laser into it and the laser will accelerate very, very rapidly, exciting the quantum vacuum. And the shape of the box will make the quantum vacuum, it will make a gradient in the quantum vacuum and the metal box will then move down that gradient. And this is a new form of propulsion. And after I suggested this uh, DARPA, the US, uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, part of the US military, got in touch with me and uh, eventually I got some funding from them to test this in the lab. And I have two labs testing it, one in Germany and one in Spain. This work is, well, of course, in my opinion, extremely important because it would lead to uh, the ability to launch things into space without the need for rockets. Would, there would be electric rockets without the need for fuel. And also it would enable interstellar travel for the first time because the main, major problem with interstellar travel is you have to take a lot of fuel along to get up to speeds fast enough to get you to, to the nearest star in the human lifetime. And this would solve that problem. So mm. all that would have been uh, lost. Uh, yeah, so pr pr presumably the labs that you were, um, that you were managing uh, being funded from DARPA, presumably those, uh, you know, their future would have been quite uncertain if you'd been fired over liking a few tweets on Twitter. Well, cer certainly the, the funding they're getting from me would have disappeared. Uh, one of the labs is uh, quite large, so they would have alternative funding, but another one is quite small, so it would have been a severe problem for them. And in terms of the, the wider culture of uh, this, I mean, you had a it was an anonymous complaint it was over liking some tweets on twitter that don't seem to be uh, particularly controversial and certainly opinions that should be allowed to be held by anybody um what where do you think this culture has come from well yes it's a, a very good question i've been doing quite a lot of reading about it recently and it may be part of a, a much larger cycle that um well every every 80 years or so after, after a society goes through a crisis like the Second World War, eventually it starts to, uh, to lose its way. And I think maybe that's, that's what's happening here. Um, so, so the idea um, has been, there's a book by Strauss and Howe in 1998 called The Fourth Turning. And they argue that what happens is whenever you have a major conflict or problem, a crisis, a particular generation is, is trained in um, fact-based thinking, but eventually they, they die off die off and um, the society then starts to to unravel um, so in a sense um, I think that's what's happening now that society is becoming a bit soft and its immune system is uh, now attacking starting to attack good tissue if you like is an analogy to an autoimmune disease and and things like facts which tend to unify people because in nature there's only one there tends to be one fact that's, that's true when everything else is wrong. They're discredited and opinions start to arise, that divide us. 
and then you get things like fear of the mob, which causes virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. And a, a bit of proof for this is that um, it's quite obvious that voting is going uh, towards the right in Anglo-Saxon societies, but apparently opinion on the street is going towards the left. And the voting booth seems to be one of the few places we have freedom of speech left, and that is going to the right. So that shows you there's some kind of difference here. So I think much of our culture is in danger because of this. For example, comedy is being severely limited, literature statues are being torn down. But it, it can also be a, an opportunity because what's happening, I think, is that society is splitting in two, almost as if it's trying to make a decision whether to go left a little bit or to go right a little bit. And this has happened many times in history that society splits into two halves and then there's a, a conflict and that a decision is made about which way to go. So it can be an opportunity. I mean, do you imagine potentially the, uh, the coronavirus is uh, one of these great events that will bring people back towards valuing facts? Yes, well, it could be. I mean, the, the problem with this is that society has become extremely hysterical, perhaps because we've had you know, peace for 80 years or something. So we, we tend to react to the smallest things. I'm not saying that coronavirus doesn't exist. But I'm saying that maybe if it had happened 10 years ago, we wouldn't have responded in quite such a hysterical manner to it. So a possible solution uh, to, to avoid this, th these kind of crises tend to involve civil wars or wars, that kind of thing. To, to avoid that, we, we could allow reasoned debate instead. So if you allow everyone to speak, so you extend the Human Rights Act to everybody, you make sure schools and universities have to enforce balance, because I don't think they are at the moment. I think they're mostly left wing and allow offence as well, because uh, facts are normally offensive. Um, and you have to put fact before uh, emotion in, uh, in order to have a, a good debate. Well, thanks so much for talking to me and all the best with your uh, jet propulsion system. Yes, thank you very much. Nick Buckley, who for the last nine years has worked for the charity Mancunian Way, which he set up himself um, after he was made redundant uh, by Manchester City Council. Um, he's currently not the CEO of Mancunian Way. Nick, would you mind just describing what happened? Yep, sure. Um, about four or five weeks ago, um, when Black Lives Matter were marching in different cities, I saw some of the violence um, and decided to have a quick look online about who were Black Lives Matter. Um, what I read really concerned me um, you know the Marxist theme to it and um, wanting to um, deconstruct the nuclear family and um, get rid of capitalism so I wrote a blog um, on my personal um, site just to talk about what I've discovered and from my 20 years of working in communities um, to say that this won't work and what they're telling people for this country isn't true and we need to be a bit cautious. That generated um, some complaints to the charity. There was a petition set up that attracted 450 signatures to have me sacked. And then within three, four days, the trustees, without speaking to me face to face, this was all done by email, terminated my contract of the charity I set up and funded for the first couple of years. It was a bit strange. So you, you've essentially, you've, you've criticised a, a political organisation on a, on a private uh, website. 
and you've been fired for that. Yes. How did that feel? Shocked. Um, I knew other people had been cancelled and been into trouble for saying similar things um, and criticising other organisations. But naively, I didn't think it could happen to me. I had an excellent relationship with my board of trustees. Um, I picked them all. I, you know, I handpicked the trustees. Um, I was the founder of the charity. I ran everything to do with the charity. You know, I, I, I was probably doing three, four people's roles at the charity. And I really did think I was, this wasn't possible for me. So I felt quite free to speak up um, on certain things, which I've done over nine years. You know, I've talked about rough sleeping, how the government have got it wrong. I've criticised councils. I've criticised um, mayors. Um, I have been quite vocal on things that I think I know about, uh, things a charity runs. So I was a bit shocked. It came, like I say, it came as an email. I knew there was nothing I could do straight away because, you know, I worked for the charity and I wasn't one of the trustees. So I had to leave. I, I, I walked away with my head in my hands thinking, what the hell have you done? Because the backlash is so strong, you probably end up thinking what you've done, which actually, you know, in the cold light of day is a perfectly normal thing to do as a private citizen, which is to criticise a, a political movement you probably end up thinking that's just just far bigger than it actually is for that first week absolutely that first week um i the best way to describe it was i was grieving um it felt like a loss obviously it was a loss to me but it felt like i'd lost somebody it was a charity that i'd lost um there was no support nobody came out to defend me no one came out to stick up for me. Um, agencies and people I've worked with over years and decades, um, only a small percentage of them came out to criticise me. And you do think to yourself, maybe I'm wrong. But then slowly things started changing. Um, the Mail on Sunday did an article, uh, interviewed me, did an article. And that's, that's when things really changed. That article um, hit the shelves. And within hours, I had hundreds of messages online, um, some personal messages and private, some just on um, Twitter and Facebook. And over the next few days, the amount of comments grew to thousands. I was even offered other jobs. I was offered um, money to see me through the tough times, which I didn't need. Um, and that's when I realized I wasn't wrong. And I always knew, deep down inside, I always knew there was a silent majority out there who thought all this was pure craziness and I was proven right and then a week later the cracks started to appear in Black Lives Matter um, you know Keir Starmer leader of the Labour Party came out and said he doesn't agree with defunding the police and um, the, the Premier League came out um, and said they don't agree with some of the statements the BBC started to ban uh, the logo and cracks started to appear because you only can fool people for so long. Craziness can only last for so long. And then common sense always comes to the fore. And, 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 it, and it's happening now. And so, and you said you do the work of four people. And obviously this, this charity is your baby. I mean, what's the impact do you think is gonna, there's gonna be on the work that you were doing um, because you've been fired? 
Well, hopefully the charity survives. I don't want to see the charity fail. Um, you know, I've spent nine years on it. I want the charity to succeed. Um, but because we're still quite a small charity, everything is centralised, so everything was centralised around me. Um, so it's it's going to be hard. I've got some good managers there. Um, so they, I know they're working hard on it. It's only been five weeks at the moment, so things are still still proceeding the way it should do. The big challenge for them will be bringing in new funding. That's the challenge for all charities, is bringing in the funding. You can have the best idea in the world and the best projects in the world, but if you're not bringing in money, then everything grinds to a halt. Um, but on that one, only time will tell. And you, you criticised Black Lives Matter because you <laughs> thought that it would have a real impact on the work that you were doing, didn't you? I mean, you've said that you thought that if young black people in Manchester think that the whole world is out to get them, that everyone's racist against them, that it will be a lot harder to persuade them to decide to get a job rather than turning to a life of crime. I mean, what, you know, I suppose just on that point, you know, how dangerous do you think Black Lives Matter and that philosophy that the political organisation espouse is to the people that you've worked with? Oh, absolutely. And it's not just Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is just the latest incarnation of this type of thinking. And we've got it through, you know, for looking at LBGT groups, we're looking at, you know, there's all sorts of dangerous sideshows in some of these social topics that are dangerous. And Black Lives Matter just happened to be the current one at the moment. Um, the, I wrote the blog, really not because of my personal views, I wrote it because I saw the damage it was going to do to the communities I've been working in for 20 years. And the damage is, it's hard enough now to work with disenfranchised young people of any race, of any colour, which we do, um, and show them the amazing opportunities that this country has on offer. Because when you've been brought up and you've been made to feel like you're a loser, the education systems let you down. Um, you know, you've not been, you've not had great parenting. You've got negative role models throughout your life in your community. Trying to get those young people to see the benefits and see the opportunities is extremely difficult. In terms of the way that you were um, hounded, in terms of the way that there was a petition against you, you know, you've you've said something that you can't be said and you must be fired. Where do you think that culture has come from? several places i think it's come from it's learned behavior because this type of behavior seems to be successful so if we can complain and shout at somebody shout at their bosses it seems you know in, in a lot of cases it seems to work so it's learned behavior i really think a lot of it comes down to it's the only way they can react it's the only way they can challenge a point of view they don't agree with because they know they can't challenge it on facts and evidence and that's why they never that's why not one of them tackled any of my points in my 600 word article not one person challenged any word or any statement i made they only went after the their perceived intent they never said this bit here is racist nick or this bit here is inaccurate they you know they basically said we can read in between the lines and you're a racist and a nazi well, if, if that's the best you can do, if that's the best evidence you have is your special superhero gift of being able to read in between lines, then you really can't have a debate or an argument with somebody. So really all you can do is scream and shout because mm. 
in a more sensible grown-up world, everything you say won't stand up. This whole philosophy is built on sand. And in terms of uh, that culture, you said that it's all built on sand, but at the moment it seems to be here to stay. How do normal people try and fight back against this new intolerance? I think you've said the two words that are important, and it's fight back. Up to, I mean, this has been going on for 20, 30 years. You know, universities have been affected with this for several decades. I remember it being raised in the Parliament um, a couple of a decade ago. MPs almost laughed at it as if to say, it doesn't matter, it's just universities, we've got more important things to do. We need to fight back at this philosophy, this ideology. And it starts with a fight back, and it starts off with people standing up. No, I'm not saying me, but you know, people need to stand up and say, I'm not willing to do this, I'm not willing to say this, I'm not willing to have my freedom of speech uh, curtailed. And for certain individuals um, who can take the hit, because not everybody can afford to take the hit, you know, they've got families to bring up and children they're responsible for. So you can't have everybody taking that hit, but people who can take the hit need to take it and say, I'm not having this. The more people that stand up slowly over time, and it will take time, um, more people will come on side, more people will sign positive petitions, more people will like and reshare something on social media so more people can read it. And the more that an average person who sat in a city, in a neighbourhood, in any city across the country, sees that, oh, 800 people have retweeted that, 10,000 people have signed this petition. I'm not the only one who believes these things. So maybe I am in the majority and we need to give people some belief that it's not just them. And then some of the serious cases where people lose their jobs, we need to support them. So, you know, we need people you know, like me to, to speak up on social media and say, this is wrong. And I need to be emailing their company as well, going, this is wrong, you've crossed the line here. And we need people at like the Free Speech Union, who don't, you know, who really helped me, by the way. Um, we, need, we need them, we need to get funding, more funding for them. And we need, we need some wins. That's what we need. We need some decent people who have been persecuted to win. And then when the general public can see, oh, this ideology can be beaten. These injustices can be overturned. That will give them some confidence. And it's going to take time. But I think the biggest thing we need at the moment is national government. Where is the prime minister on this? Um, that's that I think is the bit that's really, really missing mm. is some leadership from top politicians to say, I'm not having any of this. This is wrong. This ideology is against everything British value stands for. And they're going to take some flack. But if politicians can't take some flack, then, you know, then we are in big trouble. So at the moment, I'd like to see some politicians put their head above the parapet. Well, that's been fascinating talking to you and getting your insights. But for now, though, what are you doing for now? What have you been doing for the past few weeks? To be fair, these last three weeks, I've quite enjoyed it because I've been sleeping in. Um, I've been visiting families. I've just become a granddad. So I'm spending a lot of time with my granddaughter. So well, for a long time, I was working 10 hours a day, five, six days a week. So I've actually enjoyed the spare time. I've done some writing. Um, you've published one of my articles I'm in discussions with some other outlets about me writing on some of these topics. Um, and I'm also fighting back. I've not given up on my charity yet. There's some stuff going on behind the scenes that I can't talk about at the moment, but hopefully I can come back another time and we can chat about what I've done. But yeah, it, it, I've, I've not given up. I've, I've, not, I've not decided that I'm beaten. 
Um, and I'm going to be one of those people going forward who will be fighting against this in every way I possibly can. So the people that have you removed may have unwittingly created a, a, a campaigner on this issue? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm not going away. This is my big fight now going forward because I've always fought for communities. I've always fought for the poorest, most disenfranchised communities. And this ideology and this lunacy is going to damage them so much more. So I'm still doing the same fight I've been doing for 20 years. I'm just going to take it in a slightly different avenue because I reckon this way I can help more people. Um, so the people out there who smiled and laughed when I got sacked for my own charity and thought to themselves, well, that's one down. Let's look for the next fight. They just need to be warned that you've now created somebody now who will be fighting against this now for a long time to come. And I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of knowledge. And one thing people who know me will know, I don't give up and I've got passion. Thanks very much for talking to me and I wish you all the best in your future work. Thank you much, David. It's been a pleasure. I'm delighted now to be joined by Toby Young, who is the founder of the Free Speech Union. Toby, I've spoken to two people in this podcast already, who one of whom was cancelled and one of whom um, was almost cancelled for viewpoints. What's actually going on here? I think um, within uh, British universities, within the charitable sector, as well as in the arts and the media, there's less and less tolerance for people who dissent from prevailing woke orthodoxies. Um, I think that's been true for a while, um, but I think it's become more true uh, since the death of George Floyd in Minnesota at the end of May and the subsequent explosion of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, when I first set up the Free Speech Union back in February, we got about six cries for help a week from people who had either been cancelled or who were at risk of being cancelled. Uh, now uh, we get about six a day and I'd say about half of them are related to BLM, uh, often cases like Nick Buckley's where someone has written a blog post or engaged in a debate on Twitter or Facebook in which they've taken issue with some of the demands, some of the claims of the BLM movement. Uh, and that has been interpreted as um, racist. Um, uh, and they've been put through a disciplinary process, uh, or in some cases, as in Nick's case, uh, just lost their livelihoods. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's always, it's been a problem for some time, uh, but the problem's got a lot worse in the last couple of months. And what do you think is the, uh, you've mentioned George Floyd, but what do you think the, um, the kind of some of the reasons are behind this? I guess it's been going on longer than George Floyd. Yes, well, I think, um, I think deep within the human psyche, there is this atavistic impulse uh, to identify uh, people um, who in some way pose a threat to the moral cohesion of the community. And once identified, there is this overwhelming temptation to excommunicate them, to push them out, uh, to cleanse the community by expelling this pathogen. Um, probably an early example of cancel culture was Socrates. 
Um, we saw it again in 17th century Salem in Massachusetts. Um, we saw it uh, during the French Revolution uh, towards the end of the 18th century with the Committee for Public Safety effectively a kind of mechanism for cancelling people. We saw it uh, throughout the history of the Soviet Union. We saw it in China in the 1960s. Um, and what we see today is a kind of digital, virtual reenactment of some of the ugliest moments in human history. But because it doesn't lead to death, though in some cases people have committed suicide after being cancelled, I can think of at least three examples, but because it doesn't usually lead to death, because, you know, the struggle sessions are metaphorical rather than literal. Somehow it's become acceptable to reenact these terrible, appalling rituals. And the internet has made it possible to do that uh, in, a, in a sort of more anonymous way or in a collective way, which means that people don't have to bear the responsibility for the cruelty, the bullying, the harassment, the intimidation that is part and parcel of cancel culture. If they're just piling on uh, along with thousands of others, if they're signing open letters signed by hundreds of people, uh, somehow uh, they can evade moral responsibility for making someone's life absolutely miserable. So if this is just part of the human psyche, to the, the desire to cancel people, I mean, what chance have you got at the Free Speech Union of succeeding? Well, I think um, uh, traditionally unions have been quite effective um, at uh, at stopping people from being cancelled. One of the reasons trade unions were set up in Britain in the 19th century was to protect workers um, who wanted to express their support um, for parties that, you know, challenged the uh, power and wealth of their employers. Um, without the protection of trade unions, if they agitated for change, if they joined protests, um, if they uh, set up independent labor organizations, uh, they risked being fired, being canceled. But by banding together um, collectively, uh, they could protect one another. So I think you, the concept of a trade union um, is quite a, an effective way uh, to protect people at risk of being canceled for speaking truth to power, for speaking up against uh, powerful forces, for dissenting from prevailing orthodoxies. Um, unfortunately, trade unions in their current incarnation have lost sight of that goal. Often they're at the forefront of the mob, the pitchfork mob, demanding that someone be cancelled. Um, so I think there's a real place for new politically unaffiliated trade unions to be formed both within industries and across industries uh, to uh, protect people who are at risk of being cancelled in the way they always have been. Uh, the two people that I spoke to in this podcast um, were seen, their criticisms were seen to be coming from the right uh, and it, the whole woke culture is seen to be coming from the left. But, uh, have you seen many examples of people on the left who've been cancelled? Yes, there are lots of examples. Um, I think that is, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a cliche um, that um, the right look for allies and the left look for traitors. Uh, but, you know, through, throughout the history of the left, uh, there's always been this kind of horror 
of um, apostates. Apostates are ranked even lower than heretics. So the left is constantly combing through its own ranks, looking for people uh, who aren't quite on message or who were on message last week, but aren't on message this week because the line has shifted. Um, but there are plenty of um, people on the left who've been cancelled. So Germaine Greer has been no platform. Peter Tatchell's been no platform. Julie Bindle, uh, physically attacked by uh, trans women uh, when she's tried to talk uh, in the recent past. Uh, Jenny Murray, the host of Women's Hour, um, she wrote a piece, I think, in which she said she didn't think trans women were women. She didn't in any way challenge trans rights. She just challenged the idea that uh, a man could simply through an announcement change into a woman and enjoy all the rights that women enjoy for that she's been attacked and no platform um we saw it recently with jk rowling again challenging some of the um, more extreme dogma of the trans movement the trans lobby uh was subject to the most appalling misogynistic abuse okay you know it, it doesn't mean she's lost her livelihood she's still extremely well off she's still publishing books but people lower down the food chain than her have been cancelled on the left for saying exactly the sorts of things she said. Uh, and we saw recently in that letter to Harper's signed by what, 153 people, most of them on the left, people like Noam Chomsky, Salman Rushdie, um, Margaret Atwood, uh, JK Rowling herself, uh, identifying the problem that cancel culture now is. I mean, they, they sort of tried to appear even handed and talked about the threat to free speech posed by Trump and other right wing populists. But really, the moral force of the letter was uh, about the uh, cancel culture on the regressive left that's, that somehow um, escaped the confines of um, humanities and social science departments uh, in American universities and spread across the culture. Uh, and that was very helpful, I think, from the point of view of people like me who've been raising the alarm about cancel culture for years. You know, the standard rebuttal was, no, it's just a figment of your paranoid right-wing imagination. It's just symptomatic of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, male, pale and stale conservatives like you no longer enjoy the same platform, the same public uh, uh, status that you once did. It's not really cancel culture. You're not being canceled. It's just a rebalancing, making room for more diverse voices from historically disadvantaged groups. So it's really helpful from my point of view and the point of view of conservatives like me who've been raising the alarm to see all these liberals speak up and say, no, it isn't a figment of their imagination. It's real and we need to do something about it. Um, and just finally, what advice would you give to somebody who uh, might not be very high profile, but who is at risk of being cancelled for something that they've said? I would say um, uh, the best thing you can possibly do is to join the Free Speech Union. Uh, Mike McCulloch um, is a member of the Free Speech Union. Uh, we helped to find him a barrister and um, we offered to meet that barrister's costs. And I think it was partly because of that intervention that uh, the University of Plymouth dropped their inquiry into him. Um, Nick Buckley, another member of the Free Speech Union, we're currently doing our absolute best to try and get him reinstated um, as the CEO of uh, Mancunian Way. Um, uh, you know, and we have had some successes. Uh, there was a, a radio DJ in the Isle of Man called Stu Peters, um, got into an altercation with a caller on his late night phone-in show um, uh, because he had written a, 
a, a Facebook post in which he had questioned whether what the point of a Black Lives Matter demonstration was in Douglas in the Isle of Man, given how far away it is from Minnesota. Um, and uh, uh, he got into an altercation with a caller. He challenged the concept of white privilege, said that he wasn't himself privileged, was born to a fairly impoverished working class family, had pulled himself up by his bootstraps. There was a complaint after the show went off air. A sponsor pulled their advertising. Manx Radio, instead of standing up for his freedom of speech, suspended him and referred itself to the um, uh, Manx equivalents, the Isle of Man equivalent of Ofcom, which then launched this investigation into him. See if he'd breached the program code, the Isle of Man program code. And we wrote to uh, he's a member of the Free Speech Union. We wrote to uh, that body. Um, we we hinted pretty strongly that if they did sanction him for exercising his lawful right to free speech, we challenge that decision in court because it would be a breach of his right to freedom of expression under Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights. We started a petition defending him and demanded he'd be demanding his reinstatement, got over I think uh, 12,000 signatures. And um, a couple of weeks ago, um, the verdict came in, he was completely exonerated, and now he's got his old job back. So there are things you can do. Often the people who are at the forefront of cancel culture are bullies. Uh, they, they, they gang up on people um, uh, and they don't expect to be challenged. They're so full of self-righteous moral indignation of this kind of febrile political passion uh, that they don't think about whether they're um, uh, following the correct procedures, whether they're staying within the law. So often if you stand up for them and you challenge the process and you demand that some sort of due process be followed and that the people being cancelled aren't just subject to mob justice, sometimes that can be surprisingly effective. Um, so anyone who feels they are at risk of being cancelled or who wants to do something about this really ugly phenomenon, uh, go to freespeechunion.org. And, you know, if you're retired or you're a student, you can join for as little as £2.49 a month. Um, and uh, I do think there are things we can do. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for speaking to me, Toby. Thanks, David. If you've enjoyed listening to The Critic Podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the offer of three issues for just £5 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.